Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominations for the Best Actress are Miss Ann Baxter in All About Eve, 20th Century Fox. Miss Betty Davis, All About Eve, 20th Century Fox. Miss Judy Holliday in Born Yesterday, Columbia. Eleanor Parker in Caged, Warner Brothers. And Miss Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard, Paramount. The winner is Judy Holliday. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Best Actress, and it will be 1951 Judy Holiday's Oscar win. Uh, and I am so excited to have my co-host, the one and only Bill Antoniu. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Okay, so Bill is a co-host of the podcast Bad Gay Movie slash Bitchy Gay Men, and he is the person uh, in my life that I know just knows everything about movies. So there is no better person that I could have for the inaugural episode. So Bill, thank you so much for, for being part of this. It's absolutely my pleasure. And I'm thrilled to uh, be on the inaugural episode. Well, of course. It's an honor. uh... It's a great honor. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. Um, So obviously, you know why I had to do, I had to select you for this year. And you obviously know why um, I wanted to talk about it because, um, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but this year meant a lot to me. And for those of you that are listening to this for the very first time, the purpose of this show is not to critically analyze something from an academic perspective of how something and it it's just I'm a comedian and we're just going to talk about movie. I like to watch these movies. I'm not an academic. I don't have like a, a degree in like film history. I just like to watch movies and to talk about things and to be a bitch. Like that's just uh, that's oh, what we, I get. Paid we are going to like shit on dead people. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> and if you don't, then what are you doing with your life? Absolutely. So so if if you are looking for something that's extremely academic and you want like all the facts and stuff like that, you'll get a little bit of that. But to yeah. be honest with you, this is mostly just going to be the opinion of uh, a very bitchy gay man. Yeah. If, uh, you, if you think that this is going to stave off you getting any angry emails, you're going to get them anyway. So. Oh, I know. <laughs> this is this is very true. I shouldn't yeah. even preface uh, our, the first episode with this. You're going to have so, the you're going to have the actually guys writing to you no matter what. I know I've had seven years of it. I know. Oh, I can't wait. Although I already do get that with my stand up comedy. And so yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Um, Let's just jump right into it. So, Absolutely. first of all, uh, the 1951 Oscars, mm-hmm. uh, the best picture that year was all about Eve. That's right. Winner. And um, the lead actress category was probably one of the most competitive categories ever in Oscar history. And was the most talked about leading up to the Oscars as well, because you had these two comeback queens going head to head. And everyone was wondering, you know, who's going to win because Betty Davis had a major comeback with All About Eve, even though she hadn't stopped working. You know, she she had been in Beyond the Forest the year before, mm-hmm. um, but she hadn't had a hit in a long time. She'd been considered what they called box office poison for a long time. And oh. um, Gloria Swanson, on the other hand, in Sunset Boulevard, hadn't made a movie basically since the silent era, more or less. So uh, hers was a, a considerable comeback, given that Sunset Boulevard was a huge critical and commercial hit and her performance in it was so lauded and both of them were talked about for oscars betty davis actually won best actress at the Cannes film festival and, and i think the new york wasn't the new york film critics society that's built, right. like made after because of the loss well anyway yeah um this but is anyway, this is why Bill, this is why like, you're here <laughs> this is it, everyone was like it was one of the most anticipated um or probably the most anticipated category of the evening because people thought they both had the strongest chance And they just didn't know who would win. Well, okay. First of all, I love nothing more than an Oscar upset. Just because 
As sure. far as I'm concerned, I love the Oscars. I love talking about them. I love like, you know, having a little party and like putting in like bets of who we think is going to win. But at the end of the day, it's just a bowling trophy. It doesn't mean anything. It's literally like prestige in some capacity. Sure. But it, just because you have an Oscar, it doesn't make you like a superior. Well, listen, I would love to win one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> if I of did, course. I would enjoy it. But in terms of myself as a movie watcher, like if there's a performance that stands out to me, it's going to keep standing out to me. I, I don't take if it's not the one that wins that night, it's I don't take it to mean that I'm wrong or that now I have to watch that movie instead. You know, it's just a matter of my one opinion versus thousands of voters. And I love an upset too. I mean, like it happens so often, especially now because there's a million awards leading up to the Oscars. There only used to be like one and now there's a thousand. And so by the time you get to Oscar night, you're pretty sure who it is that's going to win because they've won everything already. And it's, yeah. Even, even it takes when the, the fun out of it. Kind of. And so, like, even this year, like, I I did want Brad Pitt to win, but given that he'd won everything, it's like, oh, my God, could someone else just win just so that I have some reason to stay awake, you know? So, I fully agree. Yeah. And also, the, the British, the BAFTAs, I find that the BAFTAs have become so americanized do you know what i mean they have because in the old days i mean and when they first started they always focused more on british films because they have their own as they should yeah absolutely in the 70s you see like french movies winning best picture a lot from them uh and then as you go forward you see movies win at the baftas that never win at the oscars like groundhog day won a bafta for best original screenplay you know so oh i love well that was like that movie in the 80s uh trading 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 places yeah yeah, and yeah. then uh, and there was also a fish called Wanda. And I yeah. think that, um, uh, oh, my gosh, I'm totally blanking on her name from Halloween. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Lee, Lee Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. She'd won like Best Supporting Actress yeah. at the BAFTAs. Yeah. And she's never been nominated for an Oscar, That's not right. even for True Lies. Yeah. And, um, but one thing that I do also uh, want to make very clear to anybody that's listening to this, I really just want to do this podcast because I'm a big fan of movies and going back to old movies and old performances that I might not have ever seen or even heard of, yeah. I get to experience them and I love that. So with these particular nominees, I mean, this was a crazy year mm-hmm. of all the nominees. Um, and so let's talk about uh, the first nominee that I actually want to talk about is Eleanor Parker in Caged. Well, I am very ready to talk about this because I watched this minute, literally, this movie, literally five minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> so it's fresh. It's fresh. It's fresh. And it's a really great movie, too. I actually really liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that it was um, a very, because this was one of the very first movies where they had done this sort of like a prison drama. Yes, especially a women's prison, yeah. A hundred percent. And you also have to remember, I mean, well, or I had to remind myself watching this that like, you have to remember that it's like 1950 or it was filmed in 1949, just because when you're watching it and the movie opens with like a bunch of white women being hurled off like a bus wearing like furs and jewels going into prison (laughs) being like, do you think they'll have caviar? I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if you know what prison's like, bitch, but um, they're in like Illinois. So maybe they would be all white. I don't know, but certainly white privilege um, is the new black. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it's also interesting that like she is picked up for armed robbery and she's put in with like, like streetwalkers, you know, like she's put in with prostitutes. That's very interesting. Mae West in her autobiography talks about um, being put in prison because she went to prison for like nine days. uh, Because of that show that she had put on. Yeah, because it was called Sex. Right. uh, She talks, uh, her book is fascinating for, you know, first of all, she said it's only nine days, but the moment they close the doors, it might as well be 50 years. Like you, you, you have no sense of time and anyone who thinks they know about prison should try it just to see because everything you think you know (laughs) is wrong. Um, but she said she was in with a lot of girls, like the ones you see in that movie, where um, they were a lot of them were uh, prostitutes, or I should say sex workers. That's the correct term we use now. And um, uh, and a, in a lot of cases, they were girls who were like trying to go straight, but then to go straight, they'd need a job, and to get a job, they'd need a dress, and to buy a dress, they had no other way to make money, so they'd end up back on the street, and then they'd end up back in prison, and it was just this cycle, which is what that movie's about. Really, is about trying to break the re- recidivism, as they call it. Well, and that's just it. I mean, when you're watching it back, I think that it may have brought light to a subject that a lot of like sheltered people may not have been aware of. Sure. And the woman um, who wrote it actually like went undercover in prison, Virginia Kellogg. She also wrote a movie called White Heat with Jim Cag- Jimmy Cagney like um, 
two years before this, which is also a prison movie. So I guess it was like her thing. Um, but she went, <laughs> she actually got herself like put in prison as a prisoner undercover, wrote an article about it and wrote this movie. So it was based on her own uh, research. And of course censored because it's 1950 for sure. Those girls are all getting raped by that matron in real life, you know? And oh my God. Uh, yeah. Hope Emerson. Hope Emerson. Yeah. Six foot two eyes of blue. Six. Oh yeah. She was a big girl. <laughs> yeah. She was like trench bull from Matilda. Totally. Oh my God. Yeah, she is. She's great. She was nominated for best supporting actress and uh, she uh, lost, didn't she? She did. Yeah. She lost to uh, Josephine Hull in the movie Harvey. Um, well, see, watching this movie, and I'm so glad that she was nominated for a supporting role just because, um, and we will get to uh, Eleanor Parker in just a quick sec. Sure. Uh, but talking about Hope Emerson, like, she could not have played that role, like, any better. Like, she was scary. She was intimidating. She was just everything that, like, a grizzled, like, yeah. actually. And I appreciate what exactly that, like, was Sorry, but what what exactly was her title? She was like a warden. She's the matron. She's she's Mama Morton, basically. She's the matron of uh, of the prison. Um, because that's I, that's how they did things back then. I guess I don't know. I find her character interesting because they don't have like a scene where you see her in private crying over some lost love. Like there's no false attempt to give her some kind of like third dimension humanity, and yet her performance is three-dimensional like she's not just a stereotype of the lesbian matron in a prison you know right Even though she's very clearly like sadistic and predatory and you know and yes and i'm happy she to plays see it very well i don't understand how a woman that big can be killed with just a fork but you know what do i know i'm not a doctor <laughs> so you know spoiler alert um one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, because, again, I do have to see this through the lens of like 1949 or mm -hmm. 1950, whenever they had filmed this. But really, it didn't really seem like a prison. It kind of just seemed like a really boring sleepover. Totally. I have a feeling that has to do with the way prisons were shown in movies at the time. Or maybe yeah. women's prisons were different. I don't know. Or maybe because I would maybe because they're not like, well, because they have a lifer in there, too. So I don't know. That That's what prison looks like in all movies from that time. So I don't right. know if it is just a matter of how movies show them. What's interesting about this movie to me is that it's made by a major studio. It's Warner Brothers making a movie that usually you would see being made by one of the what they call the Poverty Row Studios, like the B Studios, which often RKO. made. Um, yeah, I guess RKO was, but there were even uh, what was that? Um, there were even lower studios than that that just put out like cheap movies that you'd go see on like a triple feature, and that were usually. And this happened a lot more in the fifties. They usually had what they called like exploitative subject matter. So like women in prison or um, uh, right. stuff like that anyway. And it usually, usually had to do with like the underbelly of society, which is why they were exploitative, uh, but they were usually cheaply made by cheap studios. So it's interesting that this movie is made by a major studio and Eleanor Parker is the darkest horse in this category. I mean, 100%. she's up against people who are in major prestige projects from major studios. And she's in this like grimy crime film, which right. I think she's excellent in, you know, she's only in like the eighth year of her career at this point, And she carries that film very, very easily. The thing is, is, I mean, listen, to be nominated that year in a lead actress category, yeah. it's like, that's, it doesn't matter who wins. Like, that's the win. Everybody that was in there uh, just absolutely nailed it. For sure. And was just so memorable. I thought that um, the way that um, uh, Eleanor Parker portrayed the role... I think that she did it exactly how they wanted her to do it. Oh, for sure. I think that she, I think that she took the direction very, very well. I do have to say this is not really on her because her performance is flawless. It's more just sort of like I didn't really buy the transition from like sweet, innocent, naive little thing yeah. to this like hardened yeah woman who's like catching a smoke yeah. in the jaw like and it just kind of fancy men lighter cigarettes for her that's how we know yeah she lost her like <laughs> i didn't i i thought that it was kind of just like uh it was like i just kind of blinked and then suddenly she was right. like i'm tough now and well, i was like okay. it's supposed to be the weak and solitary that breaks her basically which um i mean i i would think that they would make her do like six weeks or something to make her lose her humanity that much but i don't know much about solitary other than the fact that like everybody i'm in quarantine right now but <laughs> but it's i mean she, she i have like my netflix at hand she didn't so 
the idea to me of the movie was like first the situation with her baby and then the you know getting her head shaved and um uh being put in solitary is like what breaks her and then after that she's no longer making good choices she actually allowed herself to be shaved for real for the film which I was about to say, like, did she go Hollywood full Anne Hathaway? She did. <laughs> she did, although they put like a skull cap on her when she comes out, and she looks like um, V'ger from the first Star Trek movie. <laughs> when they put the <laughs> big hair on her, it's not quite as successful. And then it grows back to my mind very fast. But anyway, um, it does. Yeah, but it, she's it, very good. I mean, and, and she's nominated three times in the fifties. Uh, this was her. She first, didn't win, and she never won. And then most uh-huh. of us know her for you know she plays the Baroness Schrader in The Sound of Music. That's what most people know her for now. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like a leading actress in the fifties. She never became like an out and out huge star, but um, lived to be like in her nineties. You know, she lived a very long life and was an excellent actress. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing that I would say watching this movie that I thought was really interesting was that her sentence was not, I think it was over a year, and she seemed to care more about being in prison for a year than her husband being dead forever. Yeah, well, if you've ever had a husband, they're easier to let go of. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of a bit like, okay. Um, Well, uh, Eleanor Parker, congratulations on your... uh, nomination you should be very proud to be in this category and um i loved watching your i loved watching your performance Mm -hmm. so um if you have anything else unless you have anything else that you would like to add about eleanor i think that we can move on to our next just to recommend that people watch her in interrupted melody which was her third nomination where she plays a um an opera singer who has some kind of accident happen to her i can't remember and uh watch her also in the man with the golden arm with frank sinatra she's too pretty for the role but she's excellent in that movie Okay, great. Well, uh, with that, let's move on to our next nominee. Um, Let's just jump right into Anne Baxter. Let's get (laughs) knee deep in some Baxter. Well, this is a year of like amazing uh, records because All About Eve shatters all previous records and has not been broken yet. It got 14 nominations and no Mm -hmm. film has gotten more. The only two films that have tied with it are Titanic and uh, La La Land. La La Land, yes. And uh, this is also the first time that two women are nominated in the same film in the Best Actress category, which has only happened like five times. See, one of my favorite lines ever from the TV show Feud is when uh, Joan and Betty are fighting and she talks about this year specifically about how she's like, well, everyone knows that I should have won in 1950 for All About Eve. And then she was like, well, that's certainly ingracious to Judy Holiday's winsome performance. And she's like, she won by default. That bitch Ann Baxter wormed her way into my category and we split the vote. That's why she won. And I... I don't know why I think about that all the time. And that's kind of why I wanted to do this episode because arguably Ann Baxter was a supporting role. She was not a lead. And there are so many people that debate whether or not she was a lead or whether or not she was a supporting character. But it's in 1947, she had won the best supporting actress for the razors edge edge. And I feel like maybe her representation was like, what's, Let's bring her to the forefront. Let's bring her to a lead category because uh, personally, I thought it was a supporting role. Not, I understand uh, the movie called probably All About You're right. Eve. I think what happened, because but back in those days, the studio actually had to furnish the Academy with lists and they would list all the movies that they'd put out and in which category they wanted each actor to be um, considered in. That doesn't happen anymore now. Now that's why everyone takes out variety ads because that's how they promote uh, the categories they want to campaign in. Um, Mm. And what probably happened is that the studio felt that they wanted to get the other women in for Best Supporting Actress, and they probably thought um, that this was just the best way to sort of uh, spread it out. That or Ann Baxter really did um, put pressure on them. You know, she might have even had it in her contract. I don't know. But the funny thing is about that is that I actually think Betty, as she's, I don't know if she really said that in real life, but I think Betty was incorrect in that regard because while that can happen in pretty much every case that two women have been up for best actress in the same film, um, Thelma and Louise and that movie, the turning point are the only times when I mm-hmm. can consider that maybe the actresses actually canceled each other out. I don't think anyone was going to vote for 
um, and Baxter in place of Betty Davis. I don't think anyone even thought that that one would compare with the other. And I don't think that in like terms of endearment, I don't think that anyone was going to vote for mm-hmm. Deborah Winger instead of Shirley MacLaine either. So, yeah, um, that's that's a, that's a very good example, actually. Yeah. Um, well, just specifically talking about, you know, Ann Baxter, whether she was leader, whether she was supporting and going back to that line about like she they split the vote. Um, I agree with you. I don't think that people would have voted for Ann Baxter over Betty Davis yeah. because like it. I mean, come on, like Betty Davis had the meteor role. Sure. And, and um, it's about her, too. Like the movie is about her and the comeback story for Betty Davis was also like that was what the excitement of the movie was. Yes. Um However, to give Ann Baxter her due, I mean, it depends also what you mean by best actress or best supporting actress, because she does have a lot of screen time in the film, Mm -hmm. if that's to go by anything. But of course, if you look at, uh, you know, performances that have won in supporting categories, some of them are like the biggest roles in the movie, like uh, Fences, for instance, Viola Davis in Fences is in the movie more than Denzel Washington is. Um, well, I feel like this is going to upset a lot of gays, but like I almost well, your whole show is going to upset a lot of gays. Kind of. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, that's what I do. Yeah. Um, but like as an example, just comparing like Anne Baxter, like as like a lead versus like a supporting, I would almost argue that like um, Meryl Streep as Miranda Priestly in The Devil Wears Prada is like borderline a supporting role over a lead. Yeah, and one of the critics groups actually gave her a supporting actress Oscar for that movie. So you know, it, it, these are there's no there's no definite rules that the Academy gives for what. How, what they delineate as one or the other um to me in my mind it's usually about like the narrative so like what's the movie about and whose perspective right. is it seen from but even in all about eve that kind of gets murky because in a way it is about eve and uh betty davis is the object and not the subject um because it's about eve's yep. working her way through this uh, group of friends but i think ann baxter's performance is really incredible because um, oh yeah she she um, dupes us all. You know, the first time you watch it, you're also willing. It has to be believable that Betty's friends would be uh, on her side and think Betty's being a, an unfair bitch before they come around. Like that whole part has to be believable or else the movie doesn't work. And Ann Baxter plays the uh, guilelessness of the character very, very well before we finally realize that actually she's been, you know, manipulating everybody the entire time. Well, so um, Ann Baxter was actually cast in this role because originally uh, Betty Davis's uh, Margot Chang was originally going to be played by Claudette Colbert. Right. What I find very interesting in that. So Ann Baxter was actually cast because of her uh, similarity in like facial features to Claudette Colbert. And oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And what I thought was kind of funny was uh, when... Betty Davis's first Academy Award nomination in 1934 for it was a write-in nomination for of Human Bondage mm-hmm. that year. Claudette Colbert had won, That's right. and I guess that in my head, like I don't know, I'm like maybe this was like her long simmering revenge because a lot of people had said that um, because Claudette Colbert had injured her back and that's why uh, Betty had to step in. And then a lot of people were speculating, Oh, Betty must've pushed her and sabotaged her. And that's why she took the role. But I, I mean, I obviously know that's not true, but I, I love that visual of Betty doing that. (laughs) Just taking the role away the most because like she had two Oscars. She had like a, she has the record for the most consecutive nominations. She had this amazing career where she was like the queen of Hollywood for years. And she's like, I want more. Like it's, she's always, (laughs) we always have to feel sorry for poor Betty and what she didn't have, even though like we'd all give her right arm to have one year of her career, let alone the amazing things that, uh, she had you know it's pretty impressive and i do oh, love it, it about her. i'm not you know i'm not even saying it critically oh yeah no 100 percent um and just talking about ann baxter's performance um it was amazing i get the nomination i thought that she like i don't really have anything negative to say about all about eve except for there was i mean it's also you have to look at it through the lens of when it was filmed Mm -hmm. um an ongoing theme throughout all of these these nominated performances there's a lot of like wife beating or like (laughs) women getting hit or like abusive men and everyone's just like oh oh america in the 50s (laughs) like yeah. So nostalgic. I think to them, um, they would, it would have been considered like um, honest and revealing. I think that's probably how they saw it. Because these are not things that movies talked about, you know. 
Right. Yeah. This is post-war um, America. This is uh, the years of prosperity. And the most popular movies were like, you know, in the next few years, especially, we're going to be these widescreen cinemascope, full color movies, uh, musicals and things like that. And and movies like Caged were were a daring project because uh, you're you're showing you're showing the things about America that aren't working, you know. That's right. And yeah. I think to me, just talking about this and talking about this movie, you know, George Sanders was the only person to receive an accolade for acting in that film. And yeah. just saying that out loud sounds wrong. I know. I know. Even though he's marvelous. I love uh, Addison DeWitt. I think that character's brilliant. And yes. the way he handles his dressing down of Eve at the end, you know, when he says, you're too short for that gesture. And he gives her the whole rundown of everything he knows she's done and how she's now in his power. I think that that scene feels like a reward when it happens. And I mean, listen, I just I don't really have anything negative to say about Ann Baxter mm-hmm. other than get the fuck out of the lead category. Bitch. Yeah, I know. get out of the way. But honestly, I don't think that she um, I don't think that she was Betty's problem. I think it was the Betty Gloria uh, showdown that I think those two canceled each other out. I don't think it was uh, Ann Baxter who presented any problem. Also, because she was a previous winner and people do win more than one Oscar, but it doesn't happen that often. It's it's um, it's very common that they play the share the wealth factor and don't give people a second award. And that being said, another speculation um, was that to Gloria Swanson and to Betty Davis, the reason why they had not received the Oscar was because up until that point, the Academy was not about to reward like the vets. They want to reward the newcomers and like yeah. the up and comers and the new fresh talent mm-hmm. because you know, why, why award Betty Davis with like a third Oscar when, you know, we can give it to somebody new and up and coming. And, and this is also, it, this is still when studios had a lot of influence on who won in terms of like the amount of um, push that they put into encouraging winners. And yeah, they did. They definitely liked to uh, promote people who they saw having a, a career ahead of them that they could make money off of, as opposed mm-hmm. to like they knew Gloria Swanson wasn't suddenly going to be in a million movies after this. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. And I guess at the time too is like the Oscars maybe didn't necessarily mean the same thing that they sort of do now. And over the years it does have different meaning. Um, and I guess what I sort of mean by that is that um like you're saying, the Oscars back then was maybe awarded to an up-and-comer as like an investment to their career. Yes, although I would say that they, they by the 50s, they did mean quite a lot because, uh, I mean, it was a prestigious award. Also, the studio put a lot into making them prestigious because, of course, they were invented as a way to sell movies. So they had to be... Um, they had to be important in order to sell your film based on the fact that it won an Oscar. Um, it's just, it wasn't as, as a, a huge a deal as it is now, because now there's just, there's so much money spent on like uh, campaigns and then the actual show and who wears what and pre-show mm-hmm. and all that, you know, like it just wasn't as noisy as it is now, but by this time it was, it was pretty, uh, it was a pretty, I mean, listen, Betty showed up to every single one of those nominations ready to win. So it was obviously yeah. important <laughs> enough that she was all about it. And incidentally, I also forgot to mention, she was offered caged. They wanted her to do that movie um, as, uh, as a maybe kind I of a comeback. I didn't know that. No, oh. she said, I don't want to do a dyke movie. That's what <laughs> I'm putting her old lady voice on. But I could just see her with the cigarette in her finger. I'm not going to do a dyke movie. So, yeah. <laughs> I have. And listen, I think that this just really speaks volumes. It's like we're trying to ha- talk about Ann Baxter and her amazing performance. And yet all we can do is we're just not talk talking about, about her. I know. Betty Davis. <laughs> I know. So, it's true. Hey, Best Actress listeners. Enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning ad-free by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon, where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe. Yeah. Let's just, okay, then let's just um, love you, Ann Baxter, but like, to you. Uh, I want to yeah. get into yeah. Betty. Let's just go into Betty Davis and All About Eve. So okay. 
Um, first of all, uh, I, like I was saying before, she originally wasn't cast. It was Claudette uh, Colbert. And yeah. um, uh, this is one of the most competitive years. And this is one of the most iconic roles and mm -hmm. i mean so many critics so many film historians all that they all say that this was one of the best acted roles in a movie ever um and i, I would could not agree more agree. i could not agree more i i have seen this movie a hundred million times i never get sick of it and uh, like you said, a lot of it is dated, but a lot of it is still fresh. Like I actually, my sister had never seen it before, despite living with me for so many years. And I showed it to her and she's <laughs> and halfway through it. She was like, oh my God, this movie is so good. And a lot of it is because the characters are so beautifully written. They're so full bodied. And you have someone like Betty Davis, who at this point is a master at appearing in front of a camera. She knows exactly how to act on film. And she explores every possibility that the script gives her. And, you know, she is, um, she's tough and she's mean sometimes. She's selfish and she's petty because she's, you know, she's a great Broadway actress and is very convincing as a theater actress, even though she was never really a theater actress. And, um, but she's also vulnerable and, um, you know, she loves her husband and uh, she has that great speech about the things you give up as a woman in order to get ahead in your career. Mm -hmm. And and then one writer was also saying that, um She's also a master of a lot of like very small neutral moments in that movie. Like even though it has all this great dialogue, all these great quotable quotes that we, you know, we love to say fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's also, mm -hmm. there's that moment where um, this one writer was pointing out, there's that moment where someone says something about not having a heart and she goes, everybody has a heart except some people. And it's one of the first times in the movies that someone just says something. It's not, it's not witty or clever. It doesn't advance the plot. It's just someone talking and, she pulls it off with the right level of like the vulnerability that you have when you're tired at your own party and you have all the things on your mind. And it's just mm -hmm. a genius little, a small moment that to me represents so much of what's great about her performance in, in this movie. I think also too, um, obviously with the delivery and, and the dialogue and how she acted it, but just the way she physically carries herself, the way that she carries a mink, the way that yeah. she has like, um, I think it in her was dresses. just pockets in those dresses. Yeah. She, well, Betty refused to wear a bra and she was wearing that <laughs> big dress whenever she was having that house party yeah. and she wore it over the shoulders because it didn't fit properly. And, and she had to pull it down over her shoulders to make it fit. And it was actually a costume mistake, oh, but now it's like one of the most iconic looks. And even just whenever, I think it's at the, it's at the opening scene, whenever Eve is receiving that award and um, just the look mm -hmm. on her face, yep. like on Betty Davis's face, it's like, it's like it's so it's so, it's so communicative of how she is feeling yeah. and also who her character is and she just has that look on her face like i fucking hate you but also like don't talk to me i'm also the coolest person in the room like she just she the way her, she but she's basically... also over it like i find that i love that uh, that part and then it's, yeah. it's the framing of the movie obviously you see it at the beginning you see it at the end where it's like she knows everything she needs to know about eve and she's like you know what if y'all are gonna fall for her bullshit fall for it my life is fine and she just lights that cigarette <laughs> and she and that's why i love her delivery when she says you can put that award right where your heart ought to be because she doesn't yes. say it like she's um you know gearing up for the big moment she just says it because she's like i don't fucking care you know, like you're a loser and uh, you Eve basically makes her see everything else. Everything else is so much smaller than she originally thought it was. So that by the time Eve gets everything, everything no longer means that much to Betty Davis because she's like, my yes. life is good. And I love that. I think that's so perceptive. And what I love about um, Betty Davis is when she talks about this role in this movie and how this role, like, you know, resurrected her career. She literally was like the writing in this in this screenplay was so good yeah. that really all we had to do was just um, do the work. And as long as we did the lines and it, it, we could just, it, she had said that she had never read anything that good. And honestly, like watching it, I mean, listen, most old movies and especially to today's kind of generation, they don't have the patience to watch something like that. <laughs> But something like All About Eve, it's so well constructed and written and um, 
the relationships and the hatred yeah. and it's just so engaging and it's so it I, I remember the very first time i watched it um because i was taking this like screenwriting course just because i wanted to learn how to do it i was watching um all about eve for the first time and i just thought Jesus Christ, why am I even fucking trying? <laughs> this is like the most well-written thing I've ever, I don't even, I will never be, I uh, I give up. And then I just, yeah, I texted yeah. my family goodbye. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that it intimidated you quite that much, but it is definitely Joseph Mankiewicz at the top of his game. I mean, you can't, you look at it and you're like, how do you even know how to structure this sort of thing? And the way that um, the transition between the friends being on Eve's side to then being on Margot's side happens so subtly and so naturally but in a way mm -hmm. that i have seen happen in real life um yeah and it's amazing that how that how that works so well i i just like i don't know like i just don't really have anything else much to say to this performance other than it was kind of flawless <laughs> it is no it absolutely is flawless and uh this is a great period for that director like if you've seen his movie from the year before a letter to three wives i highly recommend that as well it's really really good oh. and he won best director and best screenplay two years in a row which is incredible Whenever I do watch um, some older movies and some of these older performances, I will admit that like I will totally zone out and like open Facebook and be like, uh. but with uh, this specific movie, I must, I think I've seen All About Eve at least at least six or seven times. Oh, good for you. And like every single time that I watch it, I'm always like I cannot take my eyes yeah. off of off of Davis. It's it's she's just it's every it's almost like she is Margot Channing. And I don't just mean that because like she's playing that. I mean, it's just sort of like she was that tough woman who was like a big star. Yeah. And then like her star was beginning to fade. And like, I guess it was just sort of easier to wrap your mind around it. Almost like, you know, Lady Gaga playing in a star is born where she played a pop star. You're like, well, it's not a stretch. Right. <laughs> yeah. But like, but, and it's, it's amazing to think that it wasn't written for Betty. Like, it, cause it just seems so tailor made for her. Um, but it's a great example of how like, part of the win if, or part of, you know, Oscars or Oscar nominations or whatever is how, how well the role is written. And part of it is what the actor brings to it because it's not a, it's not a foolproof role. Like you, if you put someone terrible in it, it wouldn't be nearly as good because of just how much charisma she has. And um, I always love all the like little drama from like the set mm -hmm. and like all that kind of stuff. And um, Celeste home mm -hmm. absolutely hated uh, Betty Davis and basically you know the story was that on the first day she went up to Betty Davis and was like oh hello like how are you and then Betty Davis was like oh you have manners <laughs> and then she was like well and then she like never spoke to her again and I'm like I don't know like I feel like if I knew Betty Davis I would just love her I feel like she was almost like almost like before her time or something because she was just yeah. this brash but brass like I think Betty Davis took care of Betty Davis first. And I think that rubbed some people the wrong way. You know, I don't know. I mean, she had definitely good girlfriends. Uh, according to Feud, she and Olivia stayed good friends for all those years. Um, but uh, I, I wonder, I, I think about that too. And I wonder if I would maybe like her, but maybe also her hard edges would um, on some days be a bit too much for me. She probably also stank to high heaven because, you know, she never <laughs> was without a cigarette. And back in those days, people like smoked in the car and in the bathroom and it was like all over their clothes. And like, if we went back in that time, we would probably die from the smell. Oh, uh, these are yeah. I think the, about, unfortunately. Oh yeah. No, I mean <laughs> like, like I, I used to have grandparents. I know, but it's amazing because uh, like her and Celeste Holm play such convincing best friends in that movie. Celeste Holm is my favorite performance true. in that movie, other than Betty's. I think she's incredibly good, and her delivery of like, you know, really, her, her, yeah, I think she's amazing. That her fight with her husband when she's like, you know, Eve would ask Peter for Paul. You know, like though I think she's right. so good, and um, I think she could have easily won Best Supporting Actress for me, even though she'd won three years earlier. So they were not going to give it to her again. But I think she's great. Also someone who lived to be in her 90s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Okay, so Betty Davis had actually married her co-star, Gary Merrill, right. um, yeah. after this movie. And then his career kind of... Yeah, and so she was like, you you make me look bad. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, is like just talking about how these women during this time were so um, crude and mm -hmm. so like, you know, me, me, me. Um, 
it doesn't that just describe like every male actor? I think it just describes actors in general because um, it's a very competitive world. And the more successful you are, uh, the more competitive it gets. And I think the women probably have to be tougher because there's fewer roles for them. There's fewer good roles for them. Uh, and so there, and there's more of them trying for the work. So, you know, it's not, you, you can't, um, you can't rest on your laurels. You gotta, you know, and you'll find when you, if you interview Oscar winning actresses, they're the ones who have to fight the hardest to get the good parts after they win because the business is kind of done with them when they win. And, uh, and they're like, no, I'm not done. I still want to do great things. So I feel like Cher is a good example of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, did you know, actually, she was offered a role in Thelma and Louise and she turned it down? Yeah, well, everyone was offered that role because, uh, you know, Gina and Susan were not stars at the time. They were at the very they were very low on the list and they wanted, you know, Cher had just won an Oscar a couple of years earlier. Uh, they offered it to Meryl and Goldie. Like they offered it to everybody. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess uh, I mean, I don't remember how it was that they ended up with the two that they ended up with. I think a lot of people did turn it down. I think, you know, Meryl thought it it wasn't a good look for her. I turned it down. down. Did you? Yeah. I thought you turned down basic instincts. I didn't know you turned down Thelma and Louise, too. Oh, no, no, no. That was me. That was just like, that's my range. They just, like, that's they, how good I am. They were like, we need a four-year-old boy. I don't know. How old were you in 1991? <laughs> uh, I would have been Perfect. two. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Um, uh, oh my God, the idea well, of Brad, Brad Pitt humping you back then. I mean, come on. What a, what a look. <laughs> uh, that is assault. Yeah. Um, so let us go to our next mm-hmm. nominee, um, Miss Gloria Swanson yes. for Sunset Boulevard. One thing that I read that I just broke my heart was that Unlike her character, Gloria accepted the film industry didn't want her anymore. Oh my gosh. Yes, she did. Although um, she didn't have a sad life. She she uh, finished in the movies with a lot of money. Um, she had some kind of weird thing. There's rumors about, how, and this is all alleged, so don't anyone sue me about these dead people. Uh, the rumor <laughs> is that she had a child with um, John F. Kennedy's dad, Joseph Kennedy, who she was lovers with for a long time and who apparently secretly bankrolled a lot of her movies. But she was someone who, um, when she walked away, she was happy to Get walk away. Like she was done. You know, she she made, a, in the silent era, and of course you see um, her real silent films in Sunset Boulevard, but in the silent era, she was a huge, huge star. And um, and she enjoyed every minute of it. And when it was done, uh, it was done as far as she, cause she was concerned and she had money to, to live on and um, was not happy. And actually she looked so good when they filmed Sunset Boulevard that they made William Holden put on more makeup to look younger because she just didn't look her age. And if you see footage of Gloria Swanson in her 70s, I don't know what she did because she always insisted that she never did anything, but it's like, honey, you're, there's no way, you know, but her skin looked flawless until the day she died. Yeah. She sacrificed monkeys and drank their blood without it or babies. Like she was drinking babies, blood. I don't know, but whatever (laughs) she was doing, she did well because she never looked scary or creepy. She just, she always looked good and she always seemed happy. Okay, well, first of all, let's just, like, pause it and, like, bring it on back, because she looked terrifying in this movie. Okay, listen, I have... I have never seen Sunset Boulevard. Um, I think in IMDb it's listed as like uh, number 62 of like best 250 movies of all time. And so I was very excited to watch this movie. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I was blown away by, oh my God, by I was so engaged. I love every second of it. And this fucking bitch with her wide eyes and like, you can always see her upper teeth with her, like, you know, eyebrows raised. And she always has these very frantic, spastic sort of like poses. And she's like this ghoul, like haunting her own mansion. And I, it's like, it's a little campy, but it also kind of is a callback to what her career, like what her character's career was like and the big dramatics. And I, I, I fell in love and I absolutely loved every second of her performance. And I just was like, holy shit. Oh, I'm like, so glad. I, this is a movie. I've I can't believe I've never I seen it before. Yeah, no, I've seen it a many, many times since I was a kid. I've always loved it. And actually one time they even played it when the musical, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical came to Toronto. They actually played the original movie at, um, um, there was, used to be a movie theater on Eglinton West called the Eglinton. That was like a big old movie palace that had like gargoyles over the door. And it was huge. And they, Ooh. 
really? played it there. So my friend and I went because it was so exciting to see a movie like that in a, a movie theater that existed from back in the day, basically. Um, oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, but I've seen it many, many times. It's not a movie I could ever get sick of. Also, um, a movie that was nominated in all four acting categories, which hadn't happened since like 1936 or something, um, or since uh, Miss, Mrs. Miniver, I believe. Um, and All About Eve, I should also point out, is like the second movie to get five acting nominations. Um, but Sunset Boulevard, her performance is interesting because the only thing that she and Betty have in common is the fact that they're both comeback queens. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you have these two performances essentially going head to head that couldn't be more opposite in style and in tone and intention because Betty is doing a brilliant job giving a naturalism to this larger than life person, while as uh gloria swanson is in this larger than life movie and she's doing it larger than life and she's doing it so well because she's not scared of people thinking that this is really her she is up for the the game of the movie you know like she has enough of a sense of humor about herself that she's willing to play this character without seeming to be in any way worried that people might think that it, it mirrors her in any way you know I completely agree with everything that you're saying. And um, just going back to that whole thing with, you know, Ann Baxter, and they said that her going into the lead category was what canceled it all out. Mm-hmm. No, it was it. Gloria Swanson and Betty Davis for sure split the vote. For sure. And it's also a matter of like, what do you prefer? Do you prefer someone who's exactly. doing this like brilliant slice of life? Or do you prefer this very like expressionistic very you know where the art is very obvious in the you know because she's she's just a part of the black and white in that movie the way Gloria Swanson is comes out of the shadows you know like that wonderful end close up at the end and the scene where she's watching her films and she says you know uh, the pictures got small and everyone's all about talking and whatever you know and she just she does this beautiful madness for for two hours that you're completely spellbound by plus she gets a little action from a much younger man and like who doesn't admire her for that yeah, I was actually kind of surprised, like, how into her that she was. My favorite fucking scene is when she's, like, on that chaise and she's <laughs> surrounded by publicity yes. photos of herself. Yep. I'm like, oh, my God, it's like looking in a mirror. Absolutely, <laughs> like, I just, yeah. Like, and it's interesting. I was like, I, wow. I think he, I think there, I don't know if it's a rumor, if it's true that Billy Wilder wanted Mae West to do it. I think that's who he wrote it for. Because um, Mae West hadn't been making movies for a long time either. Um but I think you're right, actually. Yeah, although that would have been Mae West is one of my favorite uh, Hollywood figures of all time. But you know, she wasn't um, she she wasn't an actress. She was a performer and a comedian. She wasn't uh, she wouldn't have given the the shades that you get in this movie. But it's also it might be possible that Billy Wilder didn't intend to make as deep a movie when he first set out to make it. It could be that he originally meant for something I don't know lighter or or smarmier. I don't know. But also, um, just talking about like what you were saying before about what a like with with personal taste, you know, you know, like in 1969 there where it was Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand in a tie, which was ridiculous. I think that if there was ever going to be a tie in Oscar history, like ever, it should have been Gloria Swanson and. Betty Davis sure. if there was ever going to be a tie and I would not be surprised if people half expected that to happen too um whenever she uh sat him down and made him watch her movies mm-hmm. like she was just so hilariously narcissistic mm-hmm. and like as a as a performer as a comedian um as a com- I find that with stand-up comedians everybody always has this really cynical sort of sense of humor about themselves mm-hmm. where she kind of just embraced it. And it t- just as a person that just is constantly used to people putting themselves down, um, it was just really refreshing to just be like, yeah, no, we're going to watch me for the next three hours. <laughs> well, I mean, she's had no one to um, to oppose her in any way, right? Like she she lives holed up in this mansion. Her ex-husband is her butler. Um, she Nominated for an Oscar. That's right. Yeah, the great, and who was actually a great director up until, before that. Um, wasn't an actor nearly as much as he was a director. And um, Eric Von, Von Stroheim. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Did he direct this movie? No, no but he directed. He he had like a long career as a director in Europe and then in Hollywood, going back to like the silent era. Um, oh. This is this is the sort of the tail end of his career. 
Um, and and then she has like these weird quote unquote parties where like Buster Keaton and like you know these are real um, old old timey movie stars who come over like three of them to this empty room where she's like bought out all the food and polished the floor and she has a pet monkey and you know this movie yes. is ridiculous this movie should not be something you take seriously and yet there's something about it that it, it works so beautifully well. Um, one thing that, uh, again, broke my heart about this was, um, uh, Gloria Swanson, whenever Judy Holiday had won, mm. she, when she had seen her, she had said to her, why couldn't you have waited until next year? Right. Yeah. Cause she wanted that Oscar so badly because this was her third nomination and, and she still has zero Oscars to her name, which is unfortunate. I think she won an honorary award or I could be wrong about that, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the ones that count, cause no one counts the deathbed Oscars as Marlena Dietrich <laughs> called them. Um, oh my God. That's so funny. What, who um, didn't Peter Fonda receive his Oscar on the wait? What's Jane Fonda's dad's name? Henry Fonda. Henry yeah. Fonda. Oh my God, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> um, he went for On Golden Pond. He received it on his deathbed, didn't he? Well, more or less. I mean, they didn't show him on the, on the show. Jane accepted it for him because he was in the hospital. And then she brought it to him in the hospital. Although I think he, I, I don't think he died right away. I think, um, I think that was the year he died. But I think he lived for a few oh. months after. Yeah, her autobiography is well worth the read, I can, I can tell you. Um, oh my god yeah one time um i was in la uh with my boyfriend daniel and we were walking down uh, we were in west hollywood obviously mm-hmm. and we were uh walking down um sunset boulevard or no, sunset boulevard. <laughs> santa monica yeah. we were walking down santa monica sorry i'm distracted we were walking down santa monica and there was this woman that was off in the distance wearing pink snow pants it must have been like 25 degrees mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. um and she was hunched over and like had this um, sort of like uh, like limp walk. And Daniel goes, oh, my God, is that Jane Fonda? <laughs> and I was like, what do you think happened to Jane Fonda? Also, do you know who Jane Fonda is? <laughs> so anyway, we got a picture. That's um, <laughs> it's like, Jane, That's Jane. <laughs> I'm surprised you're just walking around here with all the paps out here. <laughs> That's um, amazing. Well, I, if I couldn't love Daniel more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, let us discuss, um, unless you have anything else that you would like to add nope. about Gloria Swanson, nope. let us discuss the winner of the 1951 Oscar for Best Actress, uh, Miss Judy Holiday. Judy Holiday. Rup- Preasing her role uh, mm-hmm. that she actually had originally performed in 1946 on Broadway. Yeah. Um, had you you've seen this movie before a number of times? Yeah, and I actually um, I'm gonna get hatred for this, but I actually like the remake with Melanie Griffith even more. But yeah, I haven't seen it. I, I I I I saw because I started watching that one, and then I was like, wait, no, this isn't color. This is wrong. <laughs> um. First of all, I'm just going to say it. I'm sorry, Judy Holiday. Like, you gave an amazing comedic performance. And Mama, I love a good comedic performance. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, you won by default. <laughs> I'm just going to say yeah, it. You won by default. I definitely. Either either they just decided to... Either people were afraid of the tie and just voted for her. Or so many people voted either for Betty and Gloria. And it sort of dragged their numbers down. And it pulled Judy ahead. I mean, in a way, Judy Holiday has the sort of Oscar narrative. You know, she's in the Broadway play. She's a huge success. And then mm-hmm. Harry Cohn at Columbia doesn't want her to be in the movie because she's not a movie star. He wanted Rita Hayworth to play it. But Catherine Hepburn was like, no, Judy Holiday is going to play this role. So she, Catherine Hepburn gave Judy Holiday a role in her movie Adam's Rib and was like, see how good she is. And eventually mm. that was part of convincing him to just let her have the part. And then he had William Holden in the male lead. So he's like, all right, so we've got a star. And um, so William Holden has co-starred two of the nominees this year. Um, so, so she does it and then like, and wins an Oscar, you know, like that's a narrative that's not really unfamiliar in terms of right. the, the, you know, and then she's a, a star, she, she's a, a overnight sensation basically. And, you know, she is marvelous in the film. Sometimes when you have the person who was in the play in the movie, they perform it like they're still on stage and mm-hmm. she does modulate it quite nicely for film cameras, even though the film itself is kind of filmed like a film play, you know, like it, you can tell that it's based on a play. Um, 
and she's she's very funny and i think that i think people love the character even let's just okay so let's just go back we were going back to the narrative you were talking about adam's rib Catherine Hepburn. yeah and then just judy, judy holiday's performance in this movie you know like i think i think people definitely um a lot of people's love for her in this movie has to do with the character itself like the idea of this um uh uneducated uh tacky girl who uh, mm-hmm. is changed like her life is completely changed by her not just learning things but like learning to love learning um and i think it's such a I, my aunt i remember talking to my my now 90 year old aunt in Greece about this movie. And she's like, oh, I cried for days after I saw that film because I was so moved by the the story, which I thought was, I'm like, that's a huh. interesting reaction. I, I, you know, but I kind of get it. Um, but the thing that's interesting for me, I've seen a lot of Judy Holiday's movies that she made after this. She didn't make many because unfortunately she died of cancer in the mid 1960. Yeah. yeah. She was very young and it's super, super tragic. Um, but if you watch her in movies like uh, the Solid Gold Cadillac, it, the performance is so much better, and the role is so much better, just because you know she's had more time to be on film. So this was sort of a a welcome to the newcomer Oscar, even though I feel like she earned it even more in the subsequent movies that she made. Um, I have so many opinions about this movie. First of all, I mean, okay, it is okay well first of all let me preface it by saying this she won me over with her performance i was a bit resentful um toward i was a bit resentful toward her performance for the first like 20 minutes because well first of all the first 10 minutes is just basically a bunch of white people bragging about how much money they have Mm -hmm. and then um it goes like her only line for the first like chunk of the film is her just going like <laughs> and like and i'm like oh my god this bitch won an oscar over margot channing okay cool and then um also i thought it was okay first of all like i'm just gonna say this i understand completely that it was like the time and you like you have to again look at it the lens of of when this was filmed and I understand that she was supposed to be playing a dumb blonde. Um, this bitch had special needs. Like, I don't know if she was like on the microwave for too long or if the microwave was even invented at this point. But like, I thought that there's a difference between playing something as like a dumb blonde and right. then just being like, you are missing a chromosome. Like it was. Well, she's like a Vegas showgirl. And the idea is she basically came from a shitty neighborhood in New York and like never had a proper education, probably didn't finish high school and was uh, making a living on her gams until then and that's not atypical of the way that kind of um type is portrayed in plays and movies at the time and in a way Mm -hmm. it's almost as if garson kanan who wrote it um was uh trying to find a way to um subvert our expectations of that stereotype Mm -hmm. yeah i i just i just thought that uh getting into the movie um and again, because the performance did win me over, um, I actually did really get into it. Glory, um, or sorry, glorious ones. Judy Holiday really carries this movie because there's really not much there. Yeah. She just becomes so likable and charming, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you start to like root for her, and um, you start to be like really happy for her, and. I think as a person going into it already being kind of resentful toward her after the first like 20 minutes. And then by the end of it, she completely won me over. I think that that speaks volumes to the performance and oh, absolutely. I think and that I, she did it really well. And I always do my best to like give her her due only because I feel like a lot of people's opinions on her performance in this movie is in, uh, is colored by the fact that they wanted someone else to win. And, um, and that's, to- you know, and I wanted someone else to win, but I don't like to um, also shit on her performance. It, you know, I like to basically say that she's good. She's just not necessarily what I would have picked, although I don't mean to spoil the end of your show. Um, I think that, uh, you know, like you said, she carries this movie and the fact that she'd never made a movie before or had made very few that probably impressed voters a lot as well. That was probably a narrative that the studio really pushed in terms of getting her the award to say, look at, look at how this newcomer is carrying this movie so easily. Like, isn't that worthy of an Mm -hmm. award? And again, that common thread that is in all of these movies is that like the, 
the boyfriend trying to be the fiance by physically threatening her. If you don't marry me, I feel like it was the fucking precursor to the honeymooners. Like (laughs) one of these days, uh, like it just was like, are, is that how people like, was that supposed to be charming back in the day? Like I'm going to threaten to beat the shit out of you. you Unless Roderick Crawford as Harry, you mean not William Holden? Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 not William Holden. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's an interesting character because this play is being very critical of corporate America. And, uh, you know, corporate America is basically the um, what what becomes uh, what, what starts to reign over the country after the war, because this, the, the war has made America like the industrial titan of the world. So it's interesting that this movie has this guy who's basically everything that the Americans should want to be because he's like this huge success in business. But at the same time, he's also um, uh, a rube, you know, like he's tacky, he's vulgar, he's uh, brutal, uh, he's mean. And I, I feel like that's um, that, I think that there's a message there, basically. Yes. It is just kind of hard to stomach in like 2020. Well, it's hard for you because you're young. I'm old and I've been through it all. And I grew up before <laughs> anyone was talking about anything. So, you know, we we all dealt with we, we We went to bed easily a lot more than you guys do now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love how the final line of the movie was when she was like, look it up. Because somebody asked her what I can't remember what it was. They were like, oh, what is that? And she's like, look it up. <laughs> I can assure you she had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, um, (laughs) but, um, I, I gotta say, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm a sucker for a good comedic performance and I thought that she knocked it out of the park. Well, and also the Oscars are terrible for the fact that they usually choose dramas and ignore uh, comedies, especially when it comes to performances Um, all the time. And it, I, I, I do find it refreshing when they do choose a comedic performance over dramatic ones because it happens so rarely, but it often happens that they do it in the years that I don't want them to. And this is a case uh, of that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think that the time has arrived <laughs> for us to reveal who we think that the Oscar should have gone to in 1951 for right. Best Actress. So, Bill, if you if you would. I think the Oscar should have gone to <laughs> Betty Davis in All About Eve. <laughs> I don't even feel two ways about this. I understand why. People felt that they were going head to head, her and Gloria Swanson. I understand why there was strong support for Gloria Swanson. I love Gloria Swanson in that movie. But for me, there's nobody else but Betty Davis. I can never get enough of this performance. I have seen Mm -hmm. this movie so many times and I feel like I discover new things about it every time I see it. I think it's it's an absolute best actress role and a best actress performance. And also because I am someone who has worked in theater. Uh, you know, I love that this film is about that world and I love how she, how beautifully she represents so many people I've known in that world. Um, and mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I've always loved Betty Davis. She was my first love when I first got into old movies, her and Judy Garland, mm-hmm. of course, because you know, I, I, I had to be as gay as could be. Um, and um, <laughs> to me, this is the most Betty Davisy of Betty Davis performances uh, where you just like you see her personality, her charisma, everything she brings to the movies, as well as her ability to interpret the um, artistic power of this script and of the character that the director has created. I feel like you get so much when you watch her in this movie. And again, I, I, I've seen it so many times and I, I can never get enough of it. So I, I, I think it's ludicrous that anyone but her won. Okay. I absolutely love that. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and uh, reveal who I think that the Oscar for 1951 Best Actress should have gone to. And the Oscar should have gone to... Gloria Swanson. Wow. Wow. I know. I am shocked. I'm a little shocked, too, to be honest with you. I'm turning off this microphone right now. I know, I know. The whole reason why I wanted to do this podcast was that I wanted to watch movies that I've never seen before. And I wanted to experience things that I had never experienced. And um, I love watching old movies, et cetera, et cetera. Betty Davis in All About Eve is like the quintessential acting role of all time. Gloria Swanson... um, this was such a 
big comeback for her and I feel like or it was supposed to be and I feel like it was even bigger than Betty Davis because oh my god Betty Davis had at that point I think that was her ninth Academy Award nomination this was Gloria's third and she or eighth and thank you and she Gloria Swanson I had never seen this movie before and I was like who is this bitch because I just was like oh my god she I could every scene that she had, I just had a big smile on my face Mm -hmm. and anything that can either make me anything that I think is funny in like some way, I just automatically love it. And so every single time that like, it would just be like William Holden. I'm like, Oh, get back to Larry Swanson. And then when it would bring her back, she was just so flamboyant and crazy and like just everything that I like about, um, everything that I like. And to be honest with you, I went into this being like, I just need to talk about why Betty Davis should have won the Oscar. Um, If it were up to me, it would be a hundred percent a tie uh, between Gloria and Betty. But I, uh, I absolutely was shocked at how much I loved Gloria in this movie. And yeah, I got to give it to Gloria Swanson. Well, that's amazing because it's been a tie between them since the beginning of time. And we have proven that it will continue to be one (laughs) for all time. Like there's no answer to this riddle. Like it's basically something that's just going to be half on one and half on the other for all of time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I would also argue that it was, it was a big comeback for her, even though she didn't win the Oscar, but like, you know, she benefited greatly from it and had a great year with it. And then the only reason she only made a couple of movies after this until she died is because she didn't really want to. Yeah. I think it's just supposed to be one of those things where it was supposed to be their biggest comeback. And then it ended up being one of their biggest letdowns. It's just so sad how women are represented in Hollywood, especially at the time, actually even still kind of today it's getting better, but it's not quite there yet. Well, it is getting better given that like Betty Davis was playing old ladies when she was 45, you know, (laughs) she's 42 or something when she makes all about Eve. she's not that old uh no she had just turned 40 yeah so that's incredible yeah like she's three Um, years younger than i am now and i'm like old lady movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh my gosh okay well that is the end of the very first episode of best actress um bill thank you so much for being a part of this i'm so happy that you were able to accommodate this in this lockdown and this yeah. <laughs> weird yeah. time that we're living in yeah, what else have we got um, to do? oh yeah no 100 percent. uh is there anything that you want to plug uh no because everything's been canceled so yeah uh <laughs> just um i, I guess you. find my my movie reviews at myoldaddiction.com and listen to bad gay movies you can listen to the episode that kyle is on in which he's completely hilarious and we hope to have him on again soon and uh, that. that's that yeah and thank you again for oh. having me. I This was so much fun to do. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, no. You'll be back. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Bill. And thank you so much for anybody that is listening. And check out more episodes available uh, once every two weeks. Bye. Did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe, and I will see you all at Howard's Inn.